Hi, everybody. Thank you for coming back to How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything, and welcome to those joining us for the first time. I'm the host and creator, Juleika Lantigua Williams. Every week, I've been talking to adult children of immigrant parents and select experts about what can seem like taboo topics. We've talked about setting boundaries, putting down foundations to make our relationship stronger, and the value of having those tough conversations. Today, let's get a little deeper. I want to talk about ourselves, who we are at our core, and how our families shape who we become. In this episode, our guest, Mark, opens up about that often blurry question, where does my family end and where do I begin? Let's get into it. I'm Mark Nguyen. I'm Vietnamese-American, and I call my parents Mẹ and Ba. So my story starts off with me leaving my parents' house at the beginning of this pandemic. Fun fact, I come from Linwood, Washington, which is in the same county of the first reported COVID case in the U.S. And I had made this decision to move in the previous year, in 2019. I was living in Brooklyn, but I decided, you know, I want to go back to my home base. I feel like I want to be on the West Coast again. Washington's my home. But when I got back, things didn't feel right. And I just felt like I needed to not be home again. And I felt like L.A. was the place to be. And so I told my parents, hey, I'm going to move. And so I did. <laughs> the conversation of the move was actually pretty smooth because I've always been a career-driven person. My parents know that. You know, I work in podcasting now, but I have ambitions to be in voiceover. And, you know, Hollywood, like, that's a great place to go. And so they were actually really supportive of that. But I think what they don't know is although I say, you know, my career is a big reason why I moved, it's it's it has a lot to do with my parents, actually. Growing up, the youngest of three in a very tight-knit family, I've had strong associations with my identity falling into the same identity as my family's. And a lot of the time when I feel like I'm struggling with my mental health and everything, it's because I'm asking myself, who am I? Because without my family, I feel like I'm nothing. Like, I don't have, you know, my parents, they left Vietnam. They got here, were able to build a life for my siblings and I. But, you know, it makes me wonder, when I'm home, am I acting in a certain way because I think that's how they want me to be? Or am I doing this because I am truly this way? I think for me, my parents don't impose who they want me to be. They've been very clear of, hey, we came here to live our dreams. You're here, so you go live yours. But for so long, because I've been in a household where it's expected that I, as not just their kid, but a daughter, like a daughter's duty to obey my parents and to please them, like I just... I can't separate, I don't feel like I can separate what they want versus what I want. And again, it's, it's weird because I tell everyone and anyone who knows me knows how close I am with my family, how open I am with them. They're like my best friends. But at the same time, like, why is it that these people I love so much who are my main rocks? Why are they the ones who, you know, like make me so anxious sometimes? And like that, that makes me sad. 
I don't know. I look to my siblings as a, as role models because my sister, she is the oldest of us. She's turning 30 this year and her husband's in the military. She actually recently moved back in with my parents while he's on deployment. And like I've seen her be able to just like say like no to their BS or just like, oh, I'm not going to do it. And like she doesn't feel as much shame as she used to. Like I want to get to that point. I don't want to feel shame from anything I did or didn't do with my parents. But at the same time, I don't want them to feel like everything they've come here for was for nothing. I I do fear that I don't have an identity without my family. And that's, for me, it's like a blessing and a curse because like these are beautiful people and I'm I'm so proud to come from them and to have them, but I think I have a hard time distinguishing the difference between gratitude and feeling like I owe them something. And I think that's common with, you know, a lot of kids of color is that, like, we're so close to our families. A lot of us are in, like, who are we without them? I bet so many of you can relate to Mark right now. I definitely can. Learning to balance our culture and our parents' way of life with the opportunities that they've given us, it can feel impossible sometimes. And maybe like me, you felt isolated and confused. Maybe you felt like you haven't honored their sacrifices. Well, we're going to get into that today. I called in an expert. Her name is Sarah Stanizai, and she's a licensed marriage and family therapist in Long Beach, California. Her practice focuses on queer and trans folks and first gens. And because her parents came to the U.S. from Afghanistan, she's also a first-gen hyphenated American. Let's get into it. You heard Merck's story. What did you hear in it as you listened? I heard something very familiar for myself as a first-gen and also many of my clients where there is an inner conflict Um where we feel like we have to choose when we're bicultural, we feel like we have to choose between our family and our home culture versus mainstream American, you know, white culture. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that conflict, people put that on us. Sometimes our family puts it, sometimes, you know, our peers and coworkers and society as a whole puts it on us. And then I could hear in Merck's story that she had internalized that conflict and didn't know kind of which way to go. So, where does that originate? You know, where's the seed for that conflict that that grows within us? I think a lot of times people don't even realize that that conflict is happening. Um, we, for those of us like myself who were born here, you know, we start to acculturate to mainstream American culture and we have a background just like everyone else, but we don't realize that we go home to a different culture than many of our peers. And so... The seed for that even just starts from a very early age. It's this, what we call the incongruence between how we see ourselves and how we define ourselves versus what is reflected back to us and how other people see us and define us. Um, And this includes a lot of factors, even things like socioeconomic class and complexion. Uh, I pass for white in a lot of situations so I kind of go between those two worlds and sometimes it's a privilege to be able to pass and sometimes it actually isn't because then part of your identity is erased and, you know, no one word really accounts for all of the experiences that we have. So the seed for that really is that incongruence or it doesn't match up how I see myself and how other people see me. 
in this family, Merck's family, she's the youngest daughter and she talks about it really openly. How do you think that that sibling order in a family plays into how our self-identity evolves and especially how we deal with the incongruence, as you mentioned? I love this question. As a therapist, I definitely geek out on this kind of stuff, but it just, it's another layer of the expectations that are put on us and the roles that we play and the layers of our identity, your role within your family is just one more layer, just like your family's role in your neighborhood or at school, just like, and then if we just keep expanding it, there are all these other layers put on us by society. And so the the the, the person's role within their family is just one more uh, layer of that. So it sounds a little bit like there is very low self-determination when it comes to what your role is in someone else's eyes. Yeah, and I think that's where some of the feelings of anxiety and depression can arise because it's tricky. It does feel like there's not a lot of self-determination. However, how we respond to that and how we develop our own identity and what we decide we want to claim and take pride in and our culture and ethnicity is only part of that but we we do have a lot of um I feel funny about the word empowerment it's so loaded with so many things but we we can be (laughs) empowered about you know really creating our own identity and claiming the things that feel like home and the things that feel good for us so us first gen second gen we have free will (laughs) believe it or not yes you might have to look a little bit harder for it but it's always there yes (laughs) all right so I want to pick up on a phrase that Mark uses um and it's a phrase that I hear a lot from my friends whose parents came from other places all over the world which is that I I'm expected to be the dutiful daughter yes do you hear that a lot I do. And what's really beautiful is that duty or that obligation is different among different cultures and even within different families. And even in her case, or what I wasn't expecting was her duty as a daughter was actually to be happy and to be herself. Mm. You know, there's often these narratives about very oppressive families or even abusive and Mm -hmm. They want to limit, you know, they don't want you to become like your white friends. They they really want you to embrace your culture. And that that is a true part of the story for a lot of people. Um, but what we don't hear as much about are, you know, the very loving and supportive parents who are really doing the best that they can and don't realize that they might be limiting their kids when all they want, just like Merck's parents, all they wanted was for her to be fully herself and to be happy. She's in her early 20s. And so I said, you know, maybe this conflict has to do with you adulting, right? Yes. And she said, yeah, I think that's part of it. But I still want to feel like I belong to my family, but I also want to feel like I know who I am. I was surprised to hear her say that because like you picked up on, her parents basically said, we came and we lived our dream so that you could live your dream. So go out and live your dream. So is it just that she might have some fear about being disappointed by who she is outside of that family unit because she's still very young and still figuring it out? 
Yeah, I think the life stage, and you're right, that that emerging adulthood period is very confusing. And many people of all kinds of backgrounds, just like, we don't know what we're doing at that age. And what I would say to her is there's this conflict between, well, I know who I am at home. I don't know who I am out in the world. I don't know which one of these to pursue. I don't know which one to cultivate. And I would say, what if you didn't have to choose? Your family has given you a really beautiful, strong part of your identity. And it's lovely to stay in touch with your culture and you don't have to reject any of that. And you can also amplify all these other sides of you. You can be Vietnamese American. You can be a woman. You can be your hobbies, your values. You know, she wants to get into voiceover. That is also a big part of your identity. Ask anybody who's (laughs) trying to make it like your work does become part of your identity. So Merck definitely sounds like someone who is very self-aware. I I really enjoyed my conversation with her because she was able to be open about certainties and also be really open about things that she was uncertain about. And she makes a really good point about her older sister who's married, who's 30, and is now living with her parents because her husband is is deployed. And, And Merck really admires how her sister's able to set boundaries. And so... What lessons might someone like Mark take from older siblings or other cousins who are also first gens who can establish those boundaries with their parents? And how can she go about practicing those and reinforcing those for herself? Yeah, I think there is something to be learned from that because the people who do it successfully do it because they have options. Mm. It's a very different feeling to say, well, I'm stuck here at home. My family expects me to be here. I have no other choice. Mm. That's a different experience from saying, yes, I could go out and be independent. I actually did do that for a time and I'm choosing to come back here because at the end of the day, there is nothing inherently wrong or devalued about choosing to live with your family. Like, right. For some people, that's very important, and for others, it's not. And whatever it means to you is what's important. Let's go through three or four concrete actions or or pointers that you can give folks in Merck's situation who are thinking about where does my family end and where do I begin? So the first thing I would say is to make a practice of sharing other sides of yourself and other parts of your identity. We get a lot of positive reinforcement especially from parents, you know, usually there's one thing that you are known for that your parents expect from you. And that might be academic performance. It might be very polite manners, whatever part of your identity that is, that is the thing that they're going to keep reinforcing. And you know how to feel good about yourself is to perform that. But I want people to make a practice of also sharing other sides of themselves with their family and even in their other relationships You don't have to only talk about your good grades or your career goals. You can also share about your friend drama or a hobby or a creative interest that you have. The other thing I would mention, number two, would be um, to set ground rules and limits about what feels safe and comfortable to talk about with your family. With Merck, she had a really beautiful, close, loving, affectionate relationship with her family, and not everybody has that. We hear that narrative so much about families who... Um, don't accept certain parts of you or, you know, you're not my child if this is who you're going to be. So you can set limits around certain topics that are off the table. You can set limits around how much time you spend together 
or what locations or events you're going to go to. If there are family members that you don't feel comfortable around, you could say, I'm going to skip that wedding, which is like a huge deal, but (laughs) you do have the right to do that. Okay. And what else? I would say another one is to define your identity for yourself and your ethnicity and your culture absolutely can and should be part of that. But there are other layers of your identity that you can amplify and that you can take pride in based on your values and beliefs and just your interests and your hobbies and what kind of friend you are and what is important to you and what do you like doing. Merck is really lucky that her parents are incredibly supportive and that they manifest that verbally and in other ways. But there are people who fear that no matter what they do, no matter who they become, they're still going to disappoint their parents. How does someone deal with that pressure? The answer is a little bit different for everyone, but I can tell you how many people come to our offices with that inner critic and that internal voice telling them that they're not good enough or that they're inadequate And when you dig deep enough, they realize, oh, that's my mom's voice, or that's my grandma's voice, or that's my father's voice. And we can't deny or erase those parts of our experience, but we can call them out for what they are. And, you know, the things that we try to ignore and pretend don't exist are just going to get louder. And that's often what people do. By the time they've come to us for therapy, it's because they have tried to kind of white knuckle it and insist that those voices aren't there. And so we actually have a conversation with those voices and we understand our parents' limitations and that they can do good for us while also doing bad for us and that they were trying their best. And if we can find a way to acknowledge that and, you know, hear what that has to say and what it's teaching us and then continue on maturing and adding supportive things to our lives. And if that voice is in there, there are also, you know, countless other voices of friends and family and loved ones who are supportive. And hopefully we can internalize those ones the same way we internalized the the other. That takes a lot of work, but the first step is recognizing that that's what's happening because oftentimes people don't even realize, you know, when that light bulb goes off and they're like, why do I say this to myself? And I'll say, well, who said this to you growing up? And then people are like, oh my gosh, okay. Once I recognize who that is, that it's not me, I can separate it out and that's how the work begins. All right, let's recap what we learned from Sarah. Share other sides of yourself with your family. Let them see you in multiple ways. Set limits about topics or events or anything else you're not comfortable with. Define your identity for yourself. Include everything that's important to you, not just the one thing your family approves of. Ask yourself, whose voice is that? Some of our deepest criticisms come from elsewhere and from other people. And remember, internalize the supportive voices in your life as much as, if not more than, the critical ones. Thank you so much for listening again this week. 
My offer for those free stickers still stands. So DM us with your address or send us an email at hello at talktomamipapi.com and I will personally drop those in the mail for you. How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything is an original production of Lantigua Williams & Co. Micaela Rodriguez produced this episode. Kojin Tashiro mixed it. Cedric Wilson is our lead producer. You can always connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Talk to Mommy Papi. And please remember to subscribe or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Bye, everybody. Same place next week. <laughs>